Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, did you know that today I am preaching as part of a series? Did you know? Yeah, it's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. Um, you see, this is, this is the part where I would usually recap on what we did last week and on what's already been said. Um, however, there's two problems with that. The first problem is that I wasn't here. I know, I had annual leave. Disgusting, isn't it? Um, the second problem is that last week doesn't seem to have been quite the preach that I was thinking. <laughs> I'm sure it was wonderful. Um, James is nodding. Timely, timely, absolutely. Um, however, when I got a text from James last Monday morning on the staff team WhatsApp, it said, can everybody come in today thinking of um, which of the four faces of God they want to develop? And I thought, that doesn't have much to do with Damascus Road, does it? And I genuinely spent about two hours thinking he'd cleverly weaved the two together. And I was like, that is so clever. I wonder how he did that. And then after I spoke to Rach, I realized, oh, no, wait. Um, so that leaves it to me today to introduce our very mini-series on roads to you. I feel very loud. Do I feel very loud to you? No? Freddie's shaking his head. Okay, it's just me. That's fine. That's fine. So, um, yeah, it's just Maddie being deafened. Sorry, Maddie. <laughs> um, so I was doing my very own research last Sunday, actually, on roads. Um, I spent four hours traveling on the motorways, mainly, last Sunday. And that was to return from my trip to Durham. Um, I went up to Durham with John. And why did I go to Durham, I hear you asking? Oh, you're very inquisitive. That's very nice. Um, well, actually, I was, I was graduating from my master's degree. It's okay. You don't... No, no, no. I know. I'm, I'm now a master of everything. No, I'm not. I'm a master of the arts, but please do not ask me to do any art. You would be very, very disappointed. Um, but yes, we were graduating. And so um, we spent a long time getting up to Durham and then coming home again on the Sunday. Um, and it got me thinking about these journeys that we take. And it got me thinking about how, you know, journeys, um, the roads that we go on, they get us from A to B, but actually we can enjoy these journeys. And so often on a long journey, I will give myself so much time um, because I like to enjoy the journey. I don't like to be rushed. I don't know if you've noticed. I, I can't be rushed very easily. I like to take my time over everything. Um, Alex is laughing far too much. <laughs> um, so I regularly will go on these long journeys and stop at service stations on the way. And I plan to stop because I like to stop because I like to have a nice coffee and a sit down. And I don't have to think about driving. And it's lovely. Um, and I get this from my dad. I think my dad is... is awful at this. He is such a man of routine that whenever he goes anywhere, and he only ever goes to the same places over and over again, he's pre-planned what service stations he will stop at. And it's the same ones every time. So he worked at Soul Survivor for nine years, um, and on the trip from Worcester down to Shepton Mallet, he would stop at Michael Wood Services every time, and on the way back, not even a good service station. Um, but that is where he'd stop. So, what we are going to do, we are going to spend 30 seconds just talking to the person next to us, telling them what your favourite service station is. If, oh, wow, Rachel's like gone into action immediately. Um, so, but, go for it. <laughs> okay, let's come back together. I'm going to have to cut your conversation short there. I cannot believe how much energy there was when I asked that question. There are some very strong opinions in this room on service stations, so let's hear them. Rach, come on, you were... Gloucester Services. 
Gloucester. Oh. <laughs> James just asked me what my favourite was as well, and it was Gloucester. See, I went to college in Bristol, just like Sean, and I stopped at Gloucester so often because it was so nice. Often buying like a cheese board on the way, like this will be good when we get there. Are there any other favourites? T-Bay. Where's that? I, I have. Oh, I haven't been to that one. Oh, is it the same? Ish, ish. Has anyone got one that's not a farm shop? Allendale on the way to Scotland. Oh, has it? It's got a it's got a lake with birds. Oh my goodness! So I'm very pleased to hear that there's some strong opinions on service stations, because we might be talking about that a little later. So this mini series that we're doing it just looks at the journey and it looks at the joy of the journey. So last week James would have talked about Damascus, um, and we were going to be looking at Saul when he said, "Who are you, Lord?" Maybe we'll never know the answer to that question. Or maybe, maybe it might come up today. It might be revealed, you might say. So this week, we are looking at the road to Emmaus. And this is one of my absolute favorite passages. And I'm not saying it just because I'm talking on it today. It genuinely is. And Freddie is going to come and he's going to do the first part of the story for us. Over to you, Freddie. So this is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 24. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short sadness written across their faces. Then one of them said, Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that had happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Thank you, Freddie. So that was the first part of our reading. We have got two more parts coming up, but like um, the best commentary that you could ever have on your bookshelf, I'm sure I will be talking in between each of those readings. <laughs> Um, so just to put that in context for you, the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus is about seven miles. So if we were to walk seven miles from here all together, then we might end up in the Ikea restaurant going around the long way. We've been through all the showroom stuff. And that is about seven miles. So it would take us maybe two and a quarter, two and a half hours, depending how tall you are, how long your legs are. Not saying anything. Um, and... <laughs> 
one, one of the things that I absolutely adore about the start of this story is that you've got these two followers of Jesus. They're just kind of walking home. I can imagine that they're really tired because it's coming towards the end of the day. Um, they've had a pretty hard time of it because they've been following Jesus. They probably consider Jesus their friend. And they think Jesus is the Messiah and he's died. And it says, doesn't it, that um, sadness was written on their faces. And even though they've heard this report from these women, they're, they're not really convinced about that. Um, So they're walking back home to Emmaus, and it's a long walk. And suddenly, this total stranger is walking with them, going, what are you talking about? Oh my goodness, doesn't it sound annoying? Can you imagine? Um, And they talk to him, and they say, he must be the only person that doesn't know. And I get that a lot. I get that a lot because I have never watched Harry Potter, I've never read Harry Potter, I've never watched Lord of the Rings or read... There's loads of things I've never seen or watched. What was that? Stranger Things. I just don't like it. Um, (laughs) Sorry, controversial. Um, I get it a lot from people, um, so I really kind of feel for them in that moment when they're going, you must be the only person that doesn't know. And Jesus goes, what things? It's brilliant, isn't it? Because obviously he knows he's Jesus, but he's going, what things? And he gets them to tell him. And they must have the patience of a saint because they're so sad and they're so kind of miserable at this time, yet they tell this stranger everything about this person. I just love that Jesus is kind of playing dumb and I love that he is a complete stranger to them, yet they are so kind to him and they kind of welcome him on their walk and they chat with him. And then Beth is going to bring the second part of the story to us. So beginning at verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all things before entering his glory? that Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And now suddenly, this stranger who a minute ago was saying that he didn't know anything that had happened and was going, what things? Suddenly, this stranger seems to now know everything. Have you ever had that, where you kind of explain something to somebody and then they start correcting you? <laughs> I don't know if they were annoyed or if they were really impressed. I think there must have been something in them that resounded that what he was telling them was true, but they probably felt like that, that little bit of annoyance at the same time, I reckon. And it says that Jesus takes them through the whole scriptures. He takes them through the Torah and the prophets. I like to imagine that maybe he had it on a scroll up his sleeve um, and he just kind of whipped it out. Um, But it's unlikely, isn't it? Um, But I just, I really like that. Um, He kind of took them through this whole thing and it was probably a good two hours of the walk. Let's face it, it would take a while. Um, And they listened to him. And then as they get to the place where they're going, Jesus pretends to go on. It's also a very funny thing. Like Jesus just goes, yeah, all right, see you. <laughs> Not off he goes. But um, they absolutely insist that he stays with them. And part of that is um, Jewish hospitality. Like, hospitality was a really important thing. So it would have been so important for them to welcome in this stranger. Um, 
and he does. He goes in. And then we are going to have the final part of the story from Joe. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were back on their way to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. And so there it is. That is my favourite verse. One of those three verses is my favourite verse. It's the revealing of Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And it is, this is... Um, what's on the screen now this is a picture where I actually got it from my BAP um, where I had to go to see whether they'd ordain me or not Um, this is a picture that I got from that and it sits on my desk in my office and I just find it the most beautiful picture Um, just Jesus being revealed to these people that were his friends that are his followers and them sharing in this meal with him I find it completely enticing Um, it's even on my stole, actually, you know, the scarf that we wear um, at nice do's and things. Um, it's, on, it's on my stole. It's on the right side of my stole that somebody um, stitched on for me. So this is my absolute favorite image, and it is my favorite passage. And I just think it's amazing. But can you imagine for them? They've been walking with this guy for two and a half hours, and they've probably spent a bit more time with him. Turns out it's Jesus, and um, then he just disappears. <laughs> If they'd known it was Jesus all along, they'd have probably had a lot more questions. But then, just at the, just at the time that they recognize, when he takes the bread and breaks it and gives it to them, that's when he disappears. <laughs> but they were left so energized by this moment. Um, they hurry back to Jerusalem. You know, Even though they were tired, even though it was the end of the day, they'd been through a lot, suddenly they're back on the road and they're hurrying back. So, as I've said, this is my favorite passage and I could talk about this for many many hours you're feeling it aren't you Um, but I'm going to bring out two main strands from this so the first one is that um, I'm going to encourage us all to be Emmaus people and what I mean by that is in the passage um, Emmaus was their destination but when they got there they realized that's not where they needed to be because when they got there Jesus was revealed to them And they realized that actually they needed to be back in Jerusalem. So I'm encouraging us to think of Emmaus maybe as a service station. See what I've done there? Um, I don't know if you've kind of ever experienced that sort of thing. I think for me, it was ordination actually. I spent spent five years um, aiming at ordination. My destination was getting ordained. And then when I got ordained... Turns out that wasn't my destination, because at a destination, you get to kind of sit and chill out, don't you? And then you're finished. (laughs) But when I got ordained, guess what? I've got a job. So uh, this is actually now the start of a journey. It's not the end. Um, And so it's kind of like a service station, Emmaus. It's a point where we stop, where we refuel, go to the toilet, um, 
But it's where we see Jesus, and it's where we recognize that he's been with us the whole time. It's where we get to look back at the journey that we've done and see that Jesus was right by us even when we didn't recognize it. And we get to look forward at the journey ahead too. Do you know, on a, on a Wednesday midday service, um, once a month we're doing a thing called an examine, which is exactly this. We sit in the stillness, in the quiet, and we reflect on our lives and we see where Jesus has been with us. And that's a really valuable practice. And that's what I'm saying that all of us should be looking to do. We should be Emmaus people, people who reflect often and live lives looking to see where Jesus is. Emmaus people are also hospitable people, of course. They know that Jesus is found in the face of the stranger. My notes say the face of the strange, so maybe the face of the strange as well. They invite people in. You know, the table is the place where the stranger becomes the friend and the friend becomes family. I've said it before, you probably remember. But the table is the place where Jesus chooses to be revealed. And he was revealed in the face of a stranger. So we should always expect to find Jesus in the face of the stranger. And finally on that, Emmaus people have a story to tell. You know, the two, the two guys in the story, they were so excited. They hurried back to Jerusalem at night. They had a story to tell and they were energized to tell it. And so Emmaus people have a story, and it's a story of where Jesus is with us, and it's a story of where Jesus has been with us, and they're excited to tell it. So let's be Emmaus people. And then secondly, we're looking at Emmaus as church. You see, the two that hurried back to Jerusalem, they hurried back there because they needed to be with the 11 disciples and the other followers who'd gathered The individual experience of Jesus drives us to the corporate experience of Jesus. You see, the most natural thing in the world is for people to journey together as church. So Emmaus people come together and experience Emmaus together. David Stancliffe, who is now a retired bishop, he says that how we do church is seen throughout this story. So when we come together, you might have noticed we gather We share in the word, we share at the table, and we go. It'd be awkward if we didn't go, wouldn't it? But those are the four things we do. So when we gather, we come to worship, and we're longing for God together, just as the two on the road were longing for Jesus. We greet one another, we give thanks, we say sorry, and we prepare to travel this well-trodden path that's Uh, before us and we do it all together and we do it all as equals all equally forgiven and pleasing in God's sight and then we share in the word together you know we open up the scriptures we learn together and it's just like Jesus did with the two along the road we get to learn from God and then of course we come to the table and it's in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of food That's when we see Jesus. It's a really holy moment. You know, whether that food be the Eucharist or whether that food be chilli after church, that's where we get to see the face of Jesus in each other in those moments. And that's why here at Top Church, we're all about building a bigger table. We're not about building a bigger stage for the worship band, but we're about building a bigger table where everybody is invited 
And we see at the table that the Jesus who has been with us on all of our individual journeys is the same Jesus that has been with the person next to us and the same Jesus that meets with us all together. And our stories merge. And the strand that is my story gets combined with the strand that is yours. And suddenly we've got a really thick rope. Our stories are enlivened by each other's. And then finally, we go out. And we go energized. And we go full of the stories of Jesus, ready to share with all of those around us. So in conclusion today, the Emmaus story, it teaches us as individuals to stop often, to refuel, to see Jesus. It teaches us to recognize that actually he's been with us the whole time. And it encourages us to share those stories with each other. It tells us to be a hospitable people, people who know that we come face to face with Christ when we come to the table with strangers and with friends. It encourages us to keep our table open, whether at church or at home. We keep our table open and we invite all. And it gives us a pattern to come together as church, gathering, sharing in the word, sharing at the table, and leaving energized to share our stories with all of those around us. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for your presence with us today. God, we thank you for the way that you journey with each one of us as individuals and as a church. We pray that you would help us to recognize where you've been on our journeys and help us to share our stories with each other here and those outside of this place, that more may come to know you. In the name of Jesus, amen.